Welcome back to the Coach and Curtin Podcast Network. I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Mark Wiley and Will George, and this is episode 46. It's actually their third episode with a day at the yard, common sense pitching with Wiley and Will. Uh, guys, welcome back to the show. I want to thank our sponsor first, one-on-one, uh, does recruiting help for young athletes. Over 600 kids put into college in the last three years. We want to thank them for sponsoring our show. And also want to thank Clint Wiley, happens to be Mark's son, with that new intro song. Um, our, our, our first guest got to experience it today called Coming After You by Clint Wiley. Clint, thanks for that use of your song on the show today. Guys, welcome back, and I'll, I'll let you uh, introduce our, our guest today. Great to be here. Hey. Yeah. Okay, Chuck. We're really excited about having you. The, uh, you know, for our listeners to know that both Will and I had you as pitching coaches. Uh, Will of the minor leagues, me of the major leagues. So we've had a relationship with you for quite a few years, and uh, always one of our favorite guys, especially one of our favorite pitchers. Huh. Um, just to give you a little background on Charlie. Um, Charlie spent 14 years in the big leagues. He was an all-star twice. He started the 1996 all-star game. Uh, he's uh, been a pitching coach for both the Angels and Diamondbacks. Uh, he started his career when he was he was big, big East pitcher of the year two years back-to-back at 87-88. He was the closer for the Olympic team that won gold. Um, he was uh, named in 1999, named as one of the top 15 players of all time on the U.S. Olympic team. Uh, he was drafted in the first round by the Cleveland Indians. Um, has a 129-105 major league record. He was in the voting for the Rookie of the Year. He was top seven times, I mean, in the top seven in voting for the Cy Young Award three times. Uh, and there's one that I just discovered, which I didn't know at the time. I should have. Uh, from 1995 to 1999, he was one of two pitchers with 15 or more wins uh, that, every year, and the other one was Greg Maddox. So that's a rare company in company of a Hall of Famer. Um, Charlie, we're so pleased to have you, and I kind of wanted to start the discussion and have you give us your feelings and talk about from the beginnings, from when you started when you were a kid in youth baseball through high school, summer, college, U.S. Olympic team to the minors to the majors, and some of your experiences or things that you thought had impact on. No, first of all, thank you very much for having me. Um, yeah, it's great catching up with you guys, and I'm, I'm very, very looking forward to uh, spending some time with you guys and, and just talking pitching. Um, as far as going back to my youth and whatnot, uh, I grew up in a family with a two, I have two brothers, so we just kind of played sports. So with each season came a different sport and, uh, you know, baseball in the summer, football in the fall, basketball in the wintertime. So, uh, we grew up becoming athletes. Um, what helped me in baseball when I was younger, I played a lot of different positions and at a young age, um, I had somebody, somebody showed me how to, how to spin a baseball. Uh, I know that's uh, not taught nowadays, uh, trying to protect kids' arms, but I played in a league where you, you could spin a ball in Little League, and uh, I learned how to do it at a young age and with smaller hands, and that's uh, how I developed uh, the grip I had, and I think that's what really carried me on through, uh, you know, from youth to the big leagues, um, something I learned at a young age, and then you know, as I grew and got stronger, velocity came and, and just complemented the, the breaking ball that I was able to throw. Yeah, that, you know, it's funny how, you know, you start these things. Do you remember any moment when you felt like you really had a breakthrough, like a particular game? It could have been any time in your amateur or professional career where you felt like, you know, I can be really good at this. Um. I just kind of always had success, you know, whether it was, uh, like I said, on the football field or, you know, just enjoyed playing basketball also and then baseball. But for me, it was, you know, the aha moments were the, you know, that I could get certain people out at different levels or if I, you know, 
youth baseball, you, you know, you go from 12 and then you go to the bigger field when you're 13 or 14. It's like, okay, I can compete here. Um, high school, the same thing, uh, whether, you know, playing JV and then moving up to varsity, you know, and then you go to college, you know, can I get guys out in college? And, you know, that just kind of that attitude always carried over for me, even through pro ball going from, you know, from the college ranks to the pro ranks to a ball, to double a, to the big leagues. It was just the, the sense or the feeling of belonging. That was the, the biggest thing for me. And once I, you know, attained that or had that aha moment, as, as you put it, um, you know, everything else just kind of fell into place after that. Yeah, I think that that's a good statement. I, you know, I always felt when I was coaching that one of my biggest jobs was to get somebody comfortable at the big league level and help them feel like they belong. And a lot of times, you, you, you know, I used to talk to position players that were stars of the team when a young pitcher had a good game. And I'd ask him, like when he's in the locker room after a game, I'd appreciate if you'd go over and tell him how impressed you with, were with, with how he did. And, uh, you know, some organizations, the players are really good. They take the young guys out to dinner. They really make them feel like they belong. Because if you don't feel like you belong, it doesn't matter how good you are, you're never as good as you could be. Yeah, you're exactly right. And a lot of times, I mean, you can just see it in a young pitcher's eyes, whether they believe they belong. I mean, everybody can talk the talk, but you got to walk the walk, I guess. And uh, yeah, just to fit in in a clubhouse. Uh, uh, you were there when I got called up and it was an older group of guys. So I was the young guy. Uh, the one funny story I like to tell is when I showed up there, they didn't have a locker for me. So they threw me in with Keith Hernandez, who wasn't there at the time. And then he showed up one day out of the blue and he just, you know, I said, Mr. Hernandez, I'm sorry that they put me in this locker. He says, that's okay. He goes, just don't touch my smokes, kid. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. you, don't have, you don't have to worry about that. I don't smoke. And he goes, okay, then we'll get along. You know, I, there's a story. I don't know if you remember this, but, um, you know, you were on the cl club with Rod Nichols. Yeah. And, and remember – Rod, Rod and you were both actually throwing pretty good. <laughs> if you go back and look at the stats and stuff, and Rod couldn't win a game. He was like 0-7 or something. And they decided to send him out. And I, to be honest with you, I was against it, but, you know, I don't have the final say. <laughs> and, uh, you know, about two days later, after we sent, sent uh, Rod out, Will calls me from from, uh, you know, Will had been your double-A pitching coach before you were called up. Right. And Will calls me up and he says, uh, you know, um, what's going on? And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, I saw you got Nichols sent out. Well, I talked to Charlie and Charlie's kind of worried about getting sent out. <laughs> you know, you were a young guy like Rod, you know, and, you know, we had no intention of ever sending you out. You know, you were one of our best pitchers. But that, that gave me something I'd never thought about before, and that was my perception was not the same as the player's perception, you know? Right. Like Doc and I were going, well, I told Doc, and Doc goes, what? And he goes, he's worried about getting sent out. I said, yeah, we better call him in and assure him that he's not going anywhere because we don't want it to be in his mind. And he goes, yeah, sure, I can't believe that. And I said, well, you know, I didn't either, but – but that was our perception because we knew you were doing just fine and we were pleased with how you were doing, but we didn't know what the player was thinking. And that was where it was really valuable to me to have that communication with Will where Will could tell me so we could address it before it turned into anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's what we, you know, you talk about younger players, they talk about it all the time. And, you know, even if you're trying to make a team or something like that, everybody, you know, you get you get in your own head a little bit sometimes and you just, you know, you worry thing about things that are out of your control. But to for you guys to sit down and reassure me that, you know, I wasn't going anywhere was a, you know, a huge, uh, you know, burden or sigh of relief uh, from from that point on. Will, you got something? No, just, you know, it's just the importance of communication and being honest with players and, um, you know, Having Charlie was a was a privilege. I had him his first full season in Kinston, and 
you know, he ended up getting promoted from there after dominating in the first half. And then I had him in double A and he dominated there and got promoted to the big leagues. And we actually had an off day, his first start. And I got to go come up and watch the game. And uh, he pitched against the Angels at old Cleveland Stadium. And, you know, it was it, it was easy for me to coach him because his work ethic was probably as good, if not better, than anybody I ever coached. His uh, coachability, his aptitude was all there. Uh, he figured out how to make adjustments on his own. And um, Charlie had a very stoic look on his face that people would go, well, he looks like he doesn't compete or he doesn't care. And I would go, you could look at him, whether he just gave up a home run to lose the game and his face would look the same as if he had a no hitter going into the ninth inning. So don't worry about him competing. He'll go out and compete his ass off every time you give him the ball. You know, it's funny because, you know, you hit on it. Charlie had one of the best work ethics of anybody I ever had. Um, you never had to worry about Charlie doing his work. You might have to talk to him about doing a little less. You know, you, you know, I, I remember, you don't know this, Charlie, but over the years when I've talked to pitchers or when I've been a director of pitching or a major league pitching coach, I used to always say, you know, what you do when nobody's looking is sometimes the most important thing you do. And, and I remember, and I used to bring up you, I'd be out there real early before batting practice, you know, early before a game, and I'd see you out of the mound doing dry work on your own self-motivated, working on your delivery, trying to, to solidify your, 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 your repeatability. And it was, uh, and I brought that up so many times to people and, you know, that, that kind of leads me like running was a really big, I mean, distance running was really big for you. And I know that's not done much anymore, but right. what do you think about that? And how did that get you when you were a pitching coach? Well, back then we didn't have the facilities that they have nowadays to, uh, to work out in. I mean, with, we had a couple of weights in the in the trainer's room back at the old municipal stadium that, you know, we had to pry from Jimmy Warfield's hands from doing the curls for girls. But uh but uh so running was basically, you know, running and push ups and sit ups was the only, you know, things that we could do. And um, you know, I got into running at a young age, uh, in college. Uh um, started running there and then on the USA team found out how important it was and you know, some shoulder work and some, the Job exercises and things like that. And then that just kind of, you know, stuck with me and it just kind of carried over, um, in the pro ball. And, uh, so it was, a it was, it was, it was huge. And, you know, my, uh, in between starts routine, um, even, you know, after the game, sometimes if I had a bad game, I would just throw the shoes on just to kind of clear my head. Um, but yeah, it seems to, it's not around anymore. Um, it's kind of disappointing, but that's just the way they train now. They train for short bursts, um, which, you know, I'm, I'm old school still, so I don't really – I understand that, but I still think you need an aerobic base. Um, there are a lot of benefits to the running that I thought too that, you know, running's a grind sometimes, and so is pitching when you're grinding it out there, and it just kind of, you know, you got to stay – you know, you got to grind through things. Uh, some days you'll, you'll run and, you know, it'll be easy and – some days you'll pitch and it'll be easy. Things just kind of fall into place, but other other days it's a grind and you just got to learn how to, to, to grind through some stuff at times. And, you know, the running in between kind of helped that and made you a little mentally strong because, you know, you didn't want to do it every every day, but, you, you know, it was part of your routine and you had to do that. We have Charlie Nagy here, former big league pitcher, uh, former pitching coach. Uh, Charlie, I remember you being extremely consistent. I think Mark chronicled that uh, with your intro. What was your game day routine like and what was your in-between start routine like for all our young kids out there we have thousands of young kids that listen to us and we're in 42 countries right now so um, we're trying to make better baseball iqs share a little bit with the audience about your routine i kind of believe that you know the hardest days i had were in between my starts so if i worked in between my starts hard then the, the game day would would be easy then i just go out and just try and just try and um you know make pitches just uh just um, go out and try and get guys out and not have to worry about anything else that I was prepared enough by the time the game games rolled around. 
um, that that would be a, not an easier day, but it would be a, you know, not as a, a hard day. Um, but, you know, I'll start with a game day. It's just, you know, just trying to get some good sleep the night before, uh, sleep in a little bit, just try and, you know, not be distracted during the day. And then, you know, just show up at the field and kind of go through your routine. I, I kind of had a lot of energy a little bit. So I kind of went out, out and shagged during batting practice a lot of times uh, just to try and work some, burn some of that off. And then, you know, you go through the regular stretching and the progression to get ready for the game. Um, and then you have your throwing routines and, you know, you got to mix them up every now and then because it is a long season and you just don't want to, you know, you just got to keep things fresh at times. But, um, and then the game starts. Uh, and then after the game, you would ice, uh, go through some stretching or some strength exercises with the trainers, ice. Um, and then the next day it all started all the, usually the, the day after your start was your hardest day. Uh, you know, you go for a jog or you sweat for a period of time. Um, you do shoulder work, you do weight work, um, and you play some catch in between. And, and then the day after that, but I was a two day guy. So, you know, you had your side day on that second day. Uh, and then it all started again the day after your side day, you do another good workout and then kind of a shorter workout. And then you know, the fifth day you're, you're pitching again and you just continued that through the season. You modified it as the season went on and the summer times and the hot months of the year, you know, you had to kind of be smart about things and, you know, back off on some training. That's where you kind of relied on, you know, talking to Will or talking to Mark and your pitching coaches about, you know, keeping a, a good, you know, line of communication open just so that they know, you know, Hey, I'm a little, you know, a little run down right now. I, you know, what can we do to kind of, you know, kind of get me back. And, but usually when the the weather started to turn and get a little colder, you know, everybody got a little hop in their step, a little more pep and, you know, the bounce back in your arm and, you know, you just kind of picked up from there and you just wanted to finish strong after that. How important was long toss in your routine? It was important. Um, you, you mixed it in, whether it was, uh, you know, the, the second day right before you threw your bullpen, your side day, or that could just replace your side day. Uh, just a good long toss session and maybe a, just a short flat ground type of um, type of work uh, workout in there. Um, but yeah, um, we had guys like um, a lot of guys just, that was, that was just a, a mainstay. A lot of the Latin players came up and like I said, we didn't have uh, all the workout uh, facilities and Dennis Martinez, um, Bartolo Colon, big long toss guys. Uh, Jose Mesa, big long toss guys. So long toss was a was a big part of it. Um, when I first came up, if I couldn't find a long toss partner, Albert Bell loved to play long toss. So he would long toss with me on like the day after I, I threw in a game, and uh, that that was just uh, you know very beneficial to to keeping arm strength and gaining arm strength and maintaining through things maintaining that arm strength throughout the course of the season. Yeah. Will, go ahead. You had a question. I think. Charlie, you, you, when, when I had you in the minor leagues, if I remember right, you, you were always a guy because some guys didn't like to stretch it out and you always did. I always remember like you, when Brewski became a pitcher, you yeah. and him would really stretch it out. Um, but uh, where did you first learn that? Was it, you know, like I, I know like that was the beginning of Alan Yeager starting to do long toss stuff or was that something you did as a kid or did you started to do in college or whatever? Well, as a kid, you know, you play different positions. So I played the outfield sometimes. So you have to make longer throws, um, you know, whether that was helpful back then. But it wasn't really until college, uh, you know, the summer ball in the Cape. I saw other guys and just talking to other guys from big, big time programs. Not that UConn is a, isn't a, wasn't a big time program back then, but it wasn't like the LSUs and the Mississippi States of the, of the world. And, you know, just saw what other guys were doing. And then when I, you know, got to try out for that Olympic team that summer, I mean, I saw the benefits of that. Skip Burtman was there and, you know, Ben McDonald and Jim Abbott and, and, you know, just the value of the long toss, Andy Bennis, uh, program right then and then it just carried over from there into you know minor league ball the following year and and you know right. the big leagues after that you know one one funny thing on the running i will say 
um, over my playing and coaching career, uh, you and Jim Palmer were the two guys that nobody ever wanted to run with. Yeah, I wasn't very popular in spring training. No, I remember that. No, I, I remember, oh, shit, I got to run <laughs> You know, with Nagy, and I remember when I went to camp with the Orioles, nobody wanted to run like Palmer. I think my first day in big league spring training as a non-roster guy, I got stuck running with Palmer, and I had uh, three foot legs, and he had seven foot strides. <laughs> you know, he'd take three strides, and he'd run the foul pole. I was <laughs> I almost had a stroke uh, <laughs> trying to keep up with him, but. Uh, you know, there were always guys that nobody wanted to run with, and unfortunately, you were one of those. Yeah. The one, the, the one guy I had was Blylevin. Blylevin's legs to, like, my chest, and nobody wanted to run with Bert. You know, it says about uh, – we're talking about three unbelievably quality major league starting pitchers in the, in the kind of at work ethic and, and work that they put in when they ran. Um, you know – always what do you think charlie like this is my feelings on i felt that we did a lot of running because it was based a lot on the endurance of pitching in games and today yes. today it seems like maybe it's because guys aren't asked to go as far into games there's no complete games um you know it's you know it's changed in that aspect i don't think it's necessarily a good thing i don't think it has to be that way what do you right. feel about? I agree. I mean, running—you know—it gives you stamina. It gives you stamina to pitch. You know, late in the games to, uh, you know, starters. It's not that you started off slow, but you kind of built. Um, and as the game wore on, you got stronger and stronger because of the the running and uh, and the workouts and the hard work that you put in. And nowadays, the velocity is just go—you know—as hard as you can, as long as you can, and then, you know, once you hit the wall, we'll take you out after that. So. Um, yeah, it's hard to, you know, you look in the papers and so many guys just going five innings and, you know, then handing it over to the bullpen and just putting a, a huge burden and a huge stress on on bullpens. But, you know, that's what that's the way uh, pitchers are being developed nowadays. So, you know, just go as hard as you can, as long as you can and, and go from there. <laughs> but uh, what do you feel are some of the most important things you've learned, you know, throughout your career and becoming a you know, established major league pitcher? Uh, well, l luckily I got, you know, I had Will as, you know, my first pitching coach in the big leagues and, uh, you know, sitting down, we, we, we had, you know, talks and talks. We, you know, he would cook his dinner. We'd go over to his place and just, you know, talk baseball and talk pitching. Um, you know, a lot of the things that stuck with me was, you know, just trying to pitch deep in the games, always trying to win that steak dinner from him. If you can throw nine innings and under a hundred pitches, you know, you got a free steak dinner. So in Kinston, North Carolina, we, I don't Ponderosa would have been that place we would have went to possibly. <laughs> it, was, but it, was, it was Western Sizzler. Come on. Western Sizzler. Sorry. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and then just being efficient, just trying to get hitters out in the first three pitches, um, you know, locating your fastball, um, the ability, like I said, to spin the ball and throw the ball for strikes was one thing that, you know, I was fortunate to have learned at a young age, um, and it carried over. You know, as I as I grew and developed, but yeah, just uh, you know, just attacking hitters, just you know, being aggressive and trying to be efficient with your pitches and trying to stay in the game as long as you can. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Charlie, you had a <clears throat> excuse me, a great breaking ball, and. The thing I saw you evolve into was you realized how good your heavy two-seam fastball was to pair with your breaking ball. You know, when you came in, you know, to pro ball, you know, you you had a 70 slider. You know, it was swing and miss, swing and miss, swing and miss. But then, you know, I, I, I remember a game against Kinston or in Kinston against Durham. They had a good team. Somebody hit a home run off you the other way. They were looking for your slider. You left it up just a little bit. And I remember you and I actually talking about you almost threw too many strikes and were a little bit too predictable. And right away you figured out how good your sinker was and then how good your changeup was. And so, like, you know, we just kept watching you get better and better and better. And you, 
you know, we always talk on here about it being incumbent on being the own, your own best pitching coach, which you became, and understanding how, how good your stuff was and how to get people out. Yeah, I mean, that also goes back to what you talked about, communication. And, you know, the relationship that we had, it was, it was you know, we were, it was, you were, you know, I was very thankful that, you know, we were able to talk and you, you know, cooked us dinner and all that other stuff. But, I mean, you were a huge part of, of my development uh, as a young pitcher. And we were able to talk about that. And it, like you said, it's understanding your strengths and realizing that, you know, even though you do have a good breaking ball, you also have to throw your other stuff uh, to get people, people out and you don't want to be predictable. And it's just understanding how you got guys out and how you got to certain points and counts and realizing, you know, what this guy might be looking for because you got him out the last time and just knowing those things. And it just kind of, then you kind of learn how the game just has a certain flow to it when you're out there on the mound. It's not always going to, be evident sometimes but you're always sometimes it's going to be a grind like we talked about before but a lot of times the, the game's got to flow and you just you know if you got a good rhythm as mark as i learned from mark wiley good rhythm good tempo pound the strike zone um you know if you have that going and and everything else will just kind of fall into place and you know next thing you know you're in the sixth seventh eighth inning of a game and you know looking looking to, to finish it off and, and get your team a w you mean you mean games aren't analytically scripted at two o'clock in the afternoon? That they actually happen in the moment? I always believed even coaching wise, I, I you know, I had the conversations with them a lot about if you just let let things organically evolve, that the numbers will fall into the place that, you know, you're trying to dictate guys pitch into you know if a guy has a good breaking ball he's going to throw his breaking ball but he doesn't have to force it all the time but he still needs to throw his fastball and if you just kind of let it happen then you know he'll throw his fastball maybe 50 percent of the time and his breaking ball depending on the game but some games you have a better fastball than a breaking ball or a better breaking ball than fastball or change up or split um and a lot of times you got to let that dictate the usage of pitches as opposed to saying, Hey, you got to throw, you can only throw 45% fastballs and, you know, 35% sliders and 10% changeups. Yeah. You know, you did such a good job with Arizona and, and Anaheim, your staffs had some great years. And, you know, uh, I know that, you know, you were teaching people how to pitch, you know, it was evident watching how, what your staffs did. Um, and that's so important. You know, we talked a lot about your playing career. You also had a really good coaching career too. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it very much. It was, uh, you know, it was eye opening, uh, you know, after I stopped playing and got into the other side of it, that, uh, um, the hard work and the hours that you guys put in, uh, I never really knew that. And, uh, thank you very much for all your, you know, all that. I mean, that's, that, that doesn't go with, you know, uh, people don't see that. People don't understand the, the hours that coaches or, you know, everybody puts into, you know, trying to develop guys or trying to, you know, just win ball games out there on any level. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just running a pitching staff, I mean, I enjoyed it very much. I was fortunate to, you know, have a lot of really eager and talented, you know, kids that I was able to, to talk to. And, you know, and that was the one thing, I'm, you know, obviously a theme of this is, you know, communication and just try to keep an open line of communication. Wasn't trying to dictate to guys, you know, this is what you need to do, you know, just, you know, let's just talk about what we're trying to do and, you know, side days. And, you know, I would always hope that, you know, my, just my playing career would, you know, hold some weight and that I knew what I was talking about and guys pretty much respected that. And, you know, as, you know, just, playing 162 games or, or pitching 33, starting 33 games a year that, you know, it's, it's uh, up peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. I used to tell them all the time and, you know, you're going to be good. You're going to be bad and you're going to have bad days. And every now and then you just got to chalk something up to a bad day. But yeah. Uh, yeah. But the one thing that I did try to hammer home was I hated walks, didn't like walks, free passes, 
obviously there's a time and a place for, you know, you have a base open or something like that. But I didn't really like when you started walking guys or just, you know, the rhythm and tempo was really slow out there. It kind of drove me nuts. Yeah, I don't think that was never a problem with you on the speed between pitches. Um, you know, you made a comment about, you know, you were, you know, you were making pitches and, and, you know, trying to get people out and making pitches that you kind of had an expectancy if they did swing, you know, they wouldn't get a good contact on it, but you weren't trying to miss bats. And today we have so many guys trying to miss bats that it's brought, it's, it's brought the pitch count way up. There's a lot right. more pitches thrown per nine innings than there ever were back in your day. Right. Yeah, it's also understanding the situations. You know, I mean, leadoff guy, the last thing you want to do is walk a leadoff guy. So you want to make him put the ball in play and knowing how you're, you know, what you're trying to do. Or if you need a double play, this is how I'm going to get a double play. Um, you know, or there are certain times when you need a strikeout and, you know, understanding how, 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 and, you know, the hitter and how I'm going to try and get a strikeout right here. It doesn't always work, but, you know, at least if you have a game plan and you know what you're trying to do out there, it, it makes your job a lot easier. Yeah, you know, it's like before you get two strikes, you can't strike anybody out. So right. the pitches that you throw leading up to that two-strike count, you know, they have to be pitches that are advantage to you and not the advantage to the hitter, which means predictability and, and location. And uh, in today's world, there's just so much done with effort and power that it seems to me that they can't take advantage of some of those things to – get the bet the, the 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 fat or the bat off the ball right yeah you go you, yeah you see a lot of o2 counts nowadays and it's automatically three two you know just trying to get a guy to chase and yeah and you know, all- there doesn't seem to be the emphasis that we grew up staying off the barrel with weaker contact you've got guys that are trying to hit the ball out of the park and everybody's trying to swing and miss, swing and miss, and swing and miss. But you know what? If you command the ball and have and stay off the barrel, the contact's not going to be good. And there's just no emphasis in that. Yeah, I mean, you still see it nowadays. I mean, Scherzer, you know, yeah. I mean, you, you go out and watch him pitch. Even, you know, uh, Kershaw up in L.A. now, you know, he doesn't have the stuff that he had, but his stuff is still pretty darn good. And just to watch him pitch, and he's, you know, not afraid of contact. Wainwright, you know. Yeah, Wainwright pitched yesterday watching him uh, against the Padres. It was, you know, just movement, relying on his movement and his breaking ball and his changeup and just, you know, trying to keep hitters off balance. Um, and you can see the reaction to the hitters. Yeah, they're going to get their hits, but you're also, you know, you got to pitch through some some situations and do some damage control and, you know, understanding that, and that's the experience that he has that has enabled him to, you know, those guys to pitch for as long as they have and to be successful at, you know, 38, 39 years old. Yeah. 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 Charlie, you know, you, you mentioned some guys now. How about guys you played against or played with that you respected the most and why you respected them? Well, coming up, I mean, I like we talked about, I was, you know, the veteran staff, you know, Tom Candiotti, Swindell, Buddy Black, you know, Johnny Farrell were there when I got called up, Doug Jones, um, and just watching those guys throw. And, um, you know, love watching Candiotti, you know, because he, he could spin the ball. He, sp- he spun the ball too, but he also, you know, the knuckleball, but his first pitch of every game was a curveball. And he, you know, spotted the fastball and it was it was fun to watch him throw. But, you know, sitting in a dugout, we used, we used to have that one radar detector up in the corner up there when we had to chart and do all that other stuff. It was always nice to see guys that nobody else could – nobody on our team really lit that thing up. But when other guys came into town like Clemens or Saberhagen or Cone, um, those guys lit that thing up. So it was nice to, nice to watch guys like that um, come into town, the power pitchers. Um, but, you know, I also like to watch, you know, just – David Wells pitching because, you know, he pitched. Mike Mussina and I got kind of paired together a lot because we both came up at the same time. You know, and then I was fortunate enough to have, you know, a guy on the staff like, you know, in the early 90s with Den- when we got Dennis Martinez and Oral Hershiser. Those, those two guys were just so helpful to the success I had coming back from shoulder surgery in 93. You know, I don't 
think if those if or wasn't around to help me out with a with a shoulder program or just watch Dennis go go about his business and how he you know attacked hitters I mean we had a whole staff of righties from 94 on and we all threw the ball pretty similar so you know we kind of fed off each other but we also knew we had to do something a little different because we couldn't attack the same team four games in a row the same way so uh we talked amongst ourselves and you know we helped each other out and as a young pitcher coming up i mean that was just yeah just huge for my development watching those guys go about their business i remember i remember 95 i don't think we had a a guy in the rotation in 95 that through over around 90, 91, 88 to 91. And people used to ask me and say, Mark, you, you guys are in the World Series and you have no guy that throws with a plus-plus fastball. And I said, yeah, but they got a good mix. They know how to pitch. They can move the ball around and, and they're not predictable. So you can see that could be successful at the highest level. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we, you know, we both had a little wrinkle here and there, you know, oral had a lot more movement than most than all of us. I had some movement, but you know, Dennis had the great change up. Um, Oral had the slider. I had the the bigger breaking ball that uh, moved in and out. But yeah, and then we all competed too. I mean, those guys love to compete. They went out there. They took the ball every fifth day. That was another thing. Is just to you know, you got to come up with a routine to figure out what it takes to you know last a season. And I, that's another thing that you know, kind of very proud of. And I learned through those guys that, you know, the best ability is the availability, you know, and you take the ball every fifth day. That's what you do. You're not always going to feel great and it's not always going to be, be pretty. And sometimes you're going to get your, your ass handed to you, but you still got to go out there and take the ball. You know, you ever notice that all the teams, you know, you see teams with good, what you'd consider a good starting staff and you see, you see people there that you watch every day, you're watching your teammate pitch every day and it's making you a better pitcher and teams that don't have that, they might have one good guy and the rest of the guys are young guys trying to, trying to get there and maybe an older guy trying to hang on that doesn't really have command anymore. You know, you can see why those teams struggle. The teams that are good, they feed off each other because they're watching, you know, the way it's supposed to be done every day. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's kind of like a like a not a, a sibling rivalry type thing where you know you you're rooting for the guy that goes out there but you but then when it's your turn you want to, you know, do the same thing or better. You want to one up them. Um and that was always the case. And it's just, you know, it's been great to see um the Guardians now. I mean, that's been their philosophy since I was there, since we were there, Mark and will i mean they're pitching first and they develop these pitchers and um just to see the guys that have rolled through there from cc to you know cliff lee to you know shane bieber right now and and just yeah they just kind of keep it going and and it's and it's fun to watch i was able to travel with them for seven days i filled in on the radio for hammy who uh tom hamilton their radio guy uh, his son, their first grandchild. So they asked me if I'd fill in, and it was, it was fun to watch those guys throw. It was fun to watch to watch how they interacted with each other. Um, the young kid right now, Mackenzie. It was, you know, yeah. I mean, great poise out there on the mound. I mean, I saw him when he first got drafted. You know, he's still six five. You know, maybe a buck sixty wet, and he's still that same way, just a little bit older. But he competes. Uh, he doesn't look like anything bothers him out there, you know, and his ability to spin the ball is, is, you know, uh, beyond his years right now. And, you know, he goes out there and he's having a phenomenal year this year. And it's just, you know, part of, you know, their teachings and their development and, uh, you know, just proud to, have, you know, to see that and proud to, have, you know, have been part of that organization. You know, it's funny because I saw the McKinsey kid in high school. We thought right. he wasn't. We thought he was going to go to college. I don't know if he was going to go to Vanderbilt or someplace. Uh, he ended up not going. But uh, he, you know, he is really 
really matured. And I just remember going back and listening to an interview with him in high school. And I was like, are you kidding me? This guy was, you know, projected himself with such intelligence and, 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 and of sound, sound, reasonable mind for a young player. So I was really excited to see how he's matured. Yeah. And he's got a good pitching coach over there. Will, uh, Carl, Carl, Will, Carl Willis. Yeah. yeah. Carl, one of our favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Carl's great. Carl, I spent a lot of time my last couple of years because of injuries. I was in Buffalo for a long time, got to know Carl Willis and Eric Wedge really well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's he's one of the best. He's beautiful. You know, a couple of things. Uh, nice job calling them the Guardians, too, Charlie. I never yeah. – <laughs> I always slip and see the Indians. But um, uh, as we were talking, I was just thinking of all the names that you heard. And there was a reason that every year you guys won the Central, you know, and I, I left after the 91 season, but always rooted for you across the way, except for in 97 when I was with the Marlins, I feel. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. but, you know, you know, like last week we had Lee Koontz on, who, you know, you had in double A and A ball, I think. Right. And Lee, Lee was a really good trainer, and then Charlie Manuel and Mark and Grover and all the all the people that you mentioned. There was a reason every year you guys were in the hunt to win a World Series, and um, and the guy we never talk about, Johnny Goral, how important he was to the development of all those players too. Yeah, Johnny was. Uh, yeah, he put the fear of God in me when I was young. <laughs> Blowing smoke in my face, <laughs> yelling at me all the time coming in. Just and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, it was like four years later in the big leagues. I'm sitting on the bench, and he's one of our coaches, and we're just he's asking me about retirement funds. And I'm like, wow, that, this is this is kind of taking on a new uh, uh, but you know what? He went down there and he held everybody accountable, including the coaches and managers, yeah, every day to do the right thing, and that's what is not happening anymore, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so. I mean, I'm John Hart down after John, you know, Mark Shapiro, now Chris Antonetti, who's still there. He's been there forever. And, you know, they, you know, they still hold those values and they, you know, things that are important to them as an organization is development of the minor leagues. And they know that's a necessity for them to be a successful organization. And, you know, they pride themselves on, on the pitching aspects and, you know, the development of their younger players, and it shows. Got a quick question for you, Chuck. And I love listening to you talk about pitching, and you obviously have a sense of reverence for those coaches, especially the two we have on here today with Mark and Will that have helped you get to where you're at today. Not one time did I hear you say anything about chasing velocity, and that's an obsession today with these young kids coming up. What's your thoughts on that or messages to some of the young kids in the audience, um, you know, about chasing velocity and it's not a good thing. What should their mindset be? Well, nowadays, uh, yeah, velocity is what it is. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the pitch count, it, you know, it's in the game. It's part of the game. It's always going to, you know, from here on out, it's going to be part of the game, but that's part of their training. Now that's how they train young, young players is to, you know, worry about, you know, the heavy balls and, and doing all that stuff and which is fine. I, 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 I did the heavy balls as a coach just to see what it'd be like. And I liked it and my arm never felt better, but, um, you know, it's also a training tool to keep, to keep your arm strong and healthy, but to chase velocity is going to, you're going to max out at some point. Um, and you know, hopefully, um, you know, nobody gets hurt trying to chase velocity, but that's, you know, that's just the way things have gone now. I mean, when you train for one thing, one thing all the time from a young age, there, there's going to come a time um, where something's going to break a little bit, I guess, whether the body can sustain that. Um, that's why I'm not really popular. I live in San Diego where it's sunny all the time. They play baseball year round when I'm asked my advice on, you know, young kids and what they should do. And I tell them they should play other sports and just kind of go out and just be athletes. And, uh, you know, I think that plays an important role in the health. And, uh, you know, if your body's able to do different things as opposed to just go on, on the one straight line the whole time, I think you're going to be better off for it in the long run. But, you know, velocity is what it is. And 
people are going to chase velocity and that's what, you know, people feel like, you know, gives them a leg up, but you know, it comes a time when you're just still going to have to get people out and locate and throw strikes. And it's, there's more to it than just velocity when it comes to that. You'll be very popular on our network with promoting multiple sports. Cause we, we bang on that all day long. We, we promote it as well. So if you ever feel lonely out there in San Diego, just dial into the show. Feel good. Charlie, you were a good football player. Did did you play some football at UConn? I did not play at UConn. I, I uh yeah, I, I went to a different school before that I played a little bit of football. Okay. And then I transferred over to UConn and my UConn football career was uh part of my job was the headphones on the sidelines for the for the head coach, making sure his wires didn't get tangled. I heard you my, did that really well. Is what yes. the, the scouting report on that was. And you I had learned to that head coach scholarship. Uh, yeah, exactly, and a little little change on the side. And uh, I learned quickly that head coaches aren't really fans of kickers. By the way, <laughs> uh, you know, there's a there's a quote that you know, focus on the process, not the result. I always felt that that was you that you you just concentrate on the small things and every the the results and the awards and success you had it came it came from doing the little things Is that, would you say that's right yeah i mean it, it's that you know the old adage you know just focus on what you can control and those are the things that i could control was you know uh my work uh in between starts what i did to prepare um you know whether it was the running the lifting the the dry mound work, which, you know, I mean, you have to be confident in what you're doing. And, and when you go out there, you, you know, it's, it's just repetition. It's just trying to repeat the same thing over and over again. And if you can do that and whatever it takes to enable you to do that and make you feel comfortable when you're on the mound every fifth day, I mean, that's, you know, what I tried to do. And, um, yeah, everything else, I just always, it was just going to fall into place after that, you know, hopefully if I went out and was successful, you know, everything would be taken care of, just tried to stay healthy and pitch as long as I could. And I didn't really worry about the other stuff. And, you know, I just wanted to win ball games, just, you know, give my team a chance, be a good teammate. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, was very lucky to play with a lot of great players and playing on a lot of great teams on a lot of different stages in my career and very fortunate. Uh, you did that very well. Well, Chuck, we appreciate you being on the show today. You've given us almost an hour here. Mark, will do you have any closing questions for, for Chuck before we sign off? No, I just, you know, I just make a statement that, you know, like one of my most favorite staffs was, was the ones what you were on in Cleveland. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, we, we had such a, a dynamic offense. Um, for part of those years and when we were in the World Series and the playoffs every year. And I, I always felt maybe it was me personal because I was the pitching coach, but I always felt like people didn't give you guys enough credit. Um, we won two ERA titles back-to-back, um, which everybody wanted to talk about our lineup that had 300 hitters in it. See, so, I didn't know that. I didn't know that back then. I didn't know that until – I, I thought we just won one. Now I know we won two. Nice going, Mark. Congratulations. <laughs> I had a little. I had a little trophy made up. It was a clock trophy I made. I gave to Last Sandy year. Alomar and and to uh, Tony Pena. I, I gave them one. I said, "See, you you guys deserve." And Louie, our bullpen coach. Oh, Louie, yeah. All, Louis I gave Isaac. them all a clock with it on there. I said, "Now you'll always remember. Nobody else knows, but you guys will know that you 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 helped us get." Two ERA titles. Well, we knew where we stood. You know, we knew we had to shag all the time, and which was always <laughs> so much fun. Um, but we, yeah, we also, yeah, we knew that the hitters took priority, and that was, you know, but we just tried to go out and do our job. And Louis Isaac, yes, he was, he's, he was the best. <laughs> I remember asking Louis. I was having a tough time getting the ball down. I was like Louis because he would stand there, and you know, and I was like Louis, what? You know what's going on? What he goes? Just hold on to the ball a little longer. <laughs> Mike, well, there you go. Just it's that easy. He was the best. He was the best. 
Will, go yeah. ahead and run if you want to. Pass. Well, I, I, I wanted to come clean in 97 when the Marlins played the Indians in the World Series. Oh, I want to hear this again. Okay. It was, and I never told Charlie. It was game seven, and he came in out of the bullpen, and I was loved Charlie and always, always rooted for him. And he gave up that game-winning hit, and his head went down, and I was sitting there. My son Dante was born six days earlier, and I said, Oh, poor Charlie. And I said, poor Charlie, we won the World Series. <laughs> I opened That's a it. bottle of champagne and I, but I had to tell you, Charlie, for that moment, I didn't feel sorry for you. <laughs> well, that's what was going through my head, too, that Will's celebrating right now. <laughs> well, uh, but, uh, hey, thank you guys very much for everything. I would not not have been the player I was or the person I was without, without you know, the two of you guys, and I can't, you know, thank you guys enough. Thank you for your friendship and, and who you were as a player, too. Yeah, thank you guys very You're much. You're as good a person as you are a pitcher, Charlie. Yep, for sure. Charlie, you got to stay on at the end, so don't yeah. don't click off. Okay, so, uh, guys, great show today. I mean, you can you can see the sense of reverence between all three of you. I think our audience will take that away. And, and uh, Chuck, thanks for the tidbits to our kids out there. We get – uh, usually about a thousand downloads per episode run in 46 countries right now. Um, so we're getting out there with our, with our support and whatnot. And I think you added to baseball IQs for all of our audience. I want to know quick though, did you ever get that steak dinner from, from Will and the minors? Uh, I came close a couple of times, but no, I did not. Okay. But and then, I had a lot of pasta dinners with Will though. That's all right. Well, we would call, we would call pitch outs if he was going to be under a hundred. <laughs> Well, <laughs> with nobody on base just to get them over 100. So you find right. out a couple of tidbits on the show. I'm going to give you two things to ask these guys after we close out here. I don't think you knew this about Mark Wiley. He just recently produced a rap song. And I went, no, you don't have, don't have to ask him about it on the show. And, and our own Will George was hanging out with the Wu-Tang Clan a couple weeks ago. So I'll let you, <laughs> let you ask him about that off the air. I don't want our audience hearing about that stuff on the air. But uh, right. thanks again. Episode 46 for Coach and Kernan Podcast Network. Can't believe we're that many so far. This is the third episode of A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. Guys, great episode again. You keep raising the bar every week. Uh, Guys, thanks again, and we look forward to having you back next week. Awesome, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Thanks, Bill.